you'd like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one right in front of you in that pew rack. Thank you guys for leading us this morning as we get to sing these songs about the Lord, especially this time of the year. Exodus chapter 12, beginning at verse 37, and then we'll keep reading through that chapter, and we'll make our way over to verse 16 of chapter 13. This is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramsey to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides the women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provision for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of uh, the 430 years, on the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And it was uh, a night of, of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall, be no, there, shall, there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. And all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on the very day that the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by, uh, by their hosts, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out from the house of slavery. By a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord 
Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen among you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. We'll stop there. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. For there is no word like your word. And our prayer is now in these next few moments that you would be at work in our midst through your word, by your spirit, that you would not only help us to know things and see things, but, but that you would shape us and transform us by these wonderful things we see in your word. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Israel has now been released from their Egyptian captivity. And now beginning at verse 37 of chapter 12 and really taking us all the way through the end of chapter 18, Israel begins their trek from Egypt all the way to the land that the Lord had promised Abraham. It has been 430 years since the people of Israel had last lived in the promised land. And, and it will be another 40 years before they get there. For in this next stage of Israel's life, they will continue to learn what it means, as we've seen throughout the whole thread of the book of Exodus, that, that you may know that the Lord is God. It's gonna, it will take them 40 years to learn this next incremental lesson that the Lord is God. This next 40 years will be a long and winding path of instruction and learning. But as they depart, and what we began, we just kind of picked up in mid-thought really with verse 37 of chapter 12. As, as, as they depart, the, the first thing on the agenda is putting in place the ceremony, the celebration, the ritual, if you would, of Passover. The event of Passover has occurred. That's earlier in chapter 12 and as well as parts of chapter 11. And now the event of Passover, that historical event by which God released Israel from Egyptian captivity, that event of Passover now gives rise to the ongoing memorial of Passover. Some of the details about this memorial, the ceremony, this ritual of Passover were, were specified in, yet in last week's reading. We won't necessarily go back there and pick up all, the, all of that, but remember in the middle of describing the event of Passover, he begins to specify instructions concerning the memorial, the ritual. Of, of Passover. And the key component of this memorial of Passover hones in on, focuses in on the importance of remembering. 
they have received a redemption that is to be remembered. Two things I want us to look at briefly. I'll spend probably more time on the first point than the second point. But first of all, remembering redemption is to be a serious routine. Second, remembering redemption is to focus on significant realities. Let's look at the first point. Remembering redemption is to be a serious routine. Now, we'll see how this is, first of all, played out in Israel's life in the context of the, what we will know as the Old Covenant. Israel, what Moses is describing to the Israelites is, is what is to be their routine as the, as the, as the people in living in covenant relationship with God. That's, that's why he, he would say in, the, in parts of the reading this morning that no uncircumcised person shall participate in the Passover. It's not, it's not that he's being cruel and heartless and trying to like push people out, but what he's telling them is that this routine of remembering is for God's covenant people. Uh, circumcision would be the sign that one then joins the covenant people. And anyone, regardless of their ethnicity, can join the covenant people, but they would need to do so through the prescribed means of joining, and that is all males would need to be circumcised. And so how this plays itself out is built into the very fabric of this community living in covenant with God is, uh, is, is a routine that Israel's new life of freedom was to be entailed around the notion of worship. This is really significant, and this even filters over into our life. We're no longer living in the Old Covenant, uh, but, the, but the principle that we could extract out of this is relevant to us. That is, Israel's new life as a freed people was to surround itself with the routine of worship. From the start of the outcome of Israel's freedom, that, that, that outcome of Israel's freedom was for the purpose of worship. All the way back in chapter 3 of Exodus, it, when, when the Lord meets Moses on Mount Sinai through the burning bush and begins to specify to Moses the plans that now have come to fruition, he says there, come, I will send you to Pharaoh uh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt, and I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. In other words, you guys are coming back here. And you're coming back here. You're going to be freed, but you're going to be coming back here because the purpose of freedom is for the purpose of worship. The result of freedom is to result in the worship of God. You see, the chief purpose, the, the, the chief result of Israel's freedom was the worship of God. Even today, Christ sets people free. To what result? To what end? To what purpose? 
We have to be careful because if we let our culture tell us the definitions of freedom, we will get everything uh, cross-haired. Uh, we, 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 if, we, if we listen to our culture, we, there's a very different working definition of freedom than what the Scriptures teach us, both in the Passover and the rest of Scriptures. We, we, we might be tempted to think with our ear to the culture, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. I can come to church if I want to. I don't have to go to church if I don't want to. I'm free. Actually, if we lean into the scriptures and learn from the scriptures, that mindset does not reflect true, godly, redemptive freedom. That mindset reflects that we are still restricted to the small universe of ourselves. You see, unless there is a measure of delight in the worship of God, there is not freedom. Freedom is not self-referential. In other words, freedom is not defined by me. Freedom is God-referential. And where there is no heart for the worship of God, there is still a heart in bondage to sin and self. They they have just been freely freed from Egyptian captivity. And the first thing on the docket, the first thing on the agenda is now let's begin to talk about To what end you have been set free? You have been set free to belong to me, the Lord says. You have been set free to no longer worship yourself and the false gods of Egypt. You've been set free to get in touch with reality, and and that is to worship the one true God. And the instrumental means of that worship is remembering. You see, what, what, what fuels the worship of God is remembering the mighty acts of God's redemptive work. Now, let me back up. Yes, God is worthy of worship for the sheer fact that He is the only true God. We could even push that further and say, yes, Uh, because we find an example of this in Scripture. God is worthy of worship for the marvelous acts of creation. But if you pay attention to the Scripture, what, what really is the launch code to igniting a rocket of worship is that God leads us to see and to remember and to rehearse and to recall and to review His mighty acts of redemption. A heart right with God, when that heart remembers and rehearses and reviews and recalls what God has done in Christ to redeem and rescue a people for Himself, for you and I to consider that and for our hearts to not have some measure of response in worship to God is a, is a very tragic indicator. And so the, the, the instrumental component 
to worshiping God, for which we've been redeemed, is remembering what God has done in His redemption. And, and, and so from the get-go, the day one, out of the starting blocks of Israel's new life as a freed people, he's talking about worship. He's, he's, because, and he's talking about worship in the context of this Passover, which is a, 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 an instrument of remembering, because you can't worship what you don't remember. And so establishing ourselves in the routines of remembering is the serious stuff of worship. And, and of course, we're, just, we're, we're, we're beginning here with day one. This is the new year now for Israel. And, and, and so even that is very telling, isn't it? That, that the, the, year of the, the moment of their redemption begins their new year. They're now beginning a new life in, the, in their journey and in their relationship with the God who rescued them. And, and, and so from, from day one, built into the, the preface, if you would, of their life before God is the remembering what God God has done and worshiping that God in light of what He has done for them. But as we press further, in other words, if, if, we, if we read past this portion of Exodus, in which we will, Lord willing, in our months together, uh, we will read further into uh, Exodus, and, 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 when, and then um, if, we were, if we were to read into books like Leviticus and books like Deuteronomy, we would get even a fuller picture, and that is that the worship of God does not merely consist of remembering the event of Passover, but the worship of God uh, occurs both in the homes and in public gatherings, and it occurs all throughout the year through a series of feasts and celebrations, and it occurred every week on the Sabbath. But you get the idea that, that uh, an important part of, of Israel's life, their, their annual calendar and their weekly calendar is built around the notion of worship, built around the recall of the mighty acts of God for the express purpose of in rehearsing and remembering the mighty acts of God, our hearts would be ignited to worship this God. Now, it's very intriguing that on the one hand, if you and I were in charge of this next movement, I mean, we've got, we've got arguably over 2 million people to transport. And I'm sure there had to be people who were a part of the quartermaster service, if you would, to, to handle the logistics of that. And, um, and, and, and yet, here are... Two million newly redeemed people. Um, and you would think, if you would stop and think about it, you think about the sheer amount of pressing logistical concerns and matters that you, would, you and I would be tempted to say, really? I mean, of all the things that the Lord wants Israel to come to grips with on this day, I mean, we've got to move this group from here to there. And the Lord is like giving us detailed instructions on worship. Really? Isn't there more? Isn't there more pressing matters than the worship of God? I don't know. You've got to sort that out, don't you? 
What's the pressing matters in your life that would tempt you to say, I, I don't even know if I have the, a time to go to church and worship God. I don't even know if I have time to, even in my homes with my family, to, to devote to the worship of God. I, I, I mean, I've got big stuff. There, there, there's, there's a lot going on in, in my life. But, but here in Israel's life, the journey from here to there begins with worship. And the journey from here to there will be permeated with worship. Gives you kind of the sense that this must be a big deal. Is that the sense you get? Not only from Exodus, but is that the sense you get in your own heart and mind? I, 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 there's other things that would press in that would kind of, kind of push aside this priority of worship and, 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 and yet... And yet, will I give in to those things? In Exodus 13, 3, then the Lord said to the people, Remember this day, remember, remember, in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Today, in the month of Abib, which, is, which will now be the first of the month for Israel, you are uh, going out. Or going back to chapter 12, he, he presses this month and, and these events of Passover as well. This month is the beginning of the months. It should be the first of the month f- uh, of the year for you. No. Of all of the pressing, important, logistical things that have to get done in life, we have to be on guard concerning our estimation of the priority of worship. Why? Because, well, um, worshiping God is to be a serious routine. And in part, what I want you to understand is that on the one hand, and this might feel kind of cyclical how I explain this, um, which is first the chicken or the egg, but, but our routines reflect our loves. Our routines reinforce our loves. But third, our routines can reshape our loves. In other words, it's very important to have a routine of remembering as the key to worship because our routines can be very formative. Our our habits, our patterns of life, particularly as it pertains to the worship of God, are, are so crucial to shaping and reshaping our lives. Think about the routines of your day. Think about the routine of your life. Think about the first thing that you do every day, every morning. That, that is shaping, that is building patterns and habits into your, into your life. And what the Lord is wanting Israel to understand is they are to have a routine of remembering because a routine of remembering is so crucial to having the routine of worship. Think about the effect 
of the new or newer profound habits of our ingestion of social media. Our habits form us. They reshape us. Um, and uh, the purveyors of social media understand that. And so they design social media uh, a lot like crack cocaine. You just want to keep coming back for more. Uh, they intrigue us. They uh, allure us. They entice us. Because if they know that if, we can, if they can forge habits and patterns and routines into our lives through the ingestion of social media, uh, uh, th then they've got us. They've shaped us. And so they, they offer benefits and features. Social media becomes a place to be known and seen. Social media becomes a place that, that offers approval and validation and significance. And yet, sadly, much of that is built and predicated upon the worship and the remembrance of a false god. No, instead, what the pattern is for Israel, what the pattern is even for us in the New Covenant, is to cultivate routines in which we quietly gather our souls in the presence of the Lord, in which we quietly, I mean quietly, without much fanfare, we don't have to post this on social media that we're doing this, but uh, we, we quietly gather our children and our family together for the worship of God. We remember in our homes the Lord because we want to worship in our home. And we gather quietly in our churches. Why? Because, because we want to cultivate serious routines of remembering for the purpose of understanding that we've been set free, that we might worship the one true God who has redeemed us and who has rescued us. And these are to be serious routines. The problem with the word ritual, even in our own context, is a ritual could be something we do without much thought. That's why these routines are to be serious routines, that we are to be mindful of them. They are to, they are to take on significance and meaning and, 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 and great sincerity and intentionality. So these serious routines, shifting to my next point, a second point, Re remembering redemption is to focus on significant realities. All aspects of the ceremony of Passover were, were meant to teach and remember truths about redemption. It, God, God didn't establish the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and even the, the, the conversation in chapter 13 about the consecration of the firstborn just simply because both he and Israel were bored and they didn't have anything better to do. No, th these routines were to be taken seriously because these routines folded into their lives instruction and, and pointed to significant things that were vital for their souls to rehash and remember and rehearse and review and recall. Each element of the Passover and unleavened bread and the consecration of the firstborn was meant, it meant something and it was meant to teach something and meant to highlight something significant. Listen to chapter 12, verse 26. And when your children ask, so in other words, as you're, as you're engaged in that routine of remembering, as your children ask you, 
what do you mean by this service? In other words, what's the point of this worship? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over uh, the houses of the people of Israel when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Why are we eating Passover? Why? Because the Lord has rescued us and redeemed us. Or in chapter 13, what we just read in verse 8, you will tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when he came out of Egypt. Or in chapter 13, verse 14, which we didn't quite get to and read, and when, it is time, uh, to, when, and, and when in the time to come, um, your sons ask you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why are we eating this stuff? Why? Because these things signify a sweeter reality. These things point to and teach us of what God has done to redeem and rescue a people for himself. So I just want to briefly touch on, just briefly, I know it's arguably curious if I could do anything briefly, but, but I'm going to try. Um, but, but from what we've read both last week and this week, Three aspects of, this, of these routines of remembrance, I, I think, are worthy of highlighting, uh, not, not just for what they meant to Israel in the Old Covenant, but, but even, even working it out as to how they apply to us as followers of Christ in the New Covenant. The, and and, and the, the one of the things to remember here is that in the, and we, when we study this from the perspective of the Old Covenant, um, these ceremonies, these rituals were being put in place as a means to remember, but also as a means of preview. They, they, they were meant to signify um, something that would more substantially come. And, and when, so when we think of Passover, when we think of unleavened bread, and when we think of the consecration of firstborn, we, we, we look at those not through the ceremony itself, for that was an old, custom, old, old covenant custom, but we still retain the new covenant applications of those old covenant customs and rituals. So quickly, just three of them. The, the, the Passover. The Passover, the, the, the ceremony, the ritual of Passover was meant to highlight and to remind them that the Lord had provided shed blood as a means to appeasing His justice so that the, the angel of death, the Lord Himself, would pass over the houses upon which the blood had been painted on the doorpost. In other words, for them, a substitution had occurred. A price had been paid. A, a sacrifice had been made on their behalf. And so while they were oppressed, they were not innocent. And, 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 and had, the, had, the, had, had justice come to their house, the firstborn of, of Israel would perish as well. 
But the Lord provided a substitute for his people. And they were to remember the Passover that the Lord spared their house, that the Lord spared their firstborn son. Uh, and, 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 and what that symbolized in, in even impressing it further is by painting the blood of the lamb on their doorpost with the hyssop uh, that reflected that they had been cleansed of their sins, that, that there was a cleansing effect to the blood of the lamb. But when the, when the Lord passes over their house, it reminds them they've not just been cleansed of their sins, uh, but the just judgment uh, that should have fallen upon them has been diverted because it has fallen upon a substitute in their place. Justice had been satisfied by a substitute. And so they were to ongoingly remember that they were now the Lord's redeemed covenant people, but with the price of a lamb. And when we think of how that plays out in terms of new covenant, we don't remember the ceremony of Passover per se, but we remember, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that Christ himself is our Passover. And so what is the routine that you and I have to remember that we who name the name of Jesus are a bought people? We, we, in, fact, in fact, Paul would say in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Christ, the perfect Lamb of God without blemish, has shed His blood to cleanse us of our sins and to divert the justice of God from us. It is a, it is a serious thing to remember that. But then, then he pauses for a minute before he gets into the... De- but, 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 but before we do the Passover thing, remember that, that uh, all the firstborn of Israel must be consecrated. Now, that's one of those words that you're just not going to hear all week long. Uh, you're, you know, you're not going to have a big meeting in the office this week or, or through uh, uh, Skype or something. It's just like you're going to spend a lot of time in the office uh, talking about uh, consecration. So, like, what in the world is that? Well, um, essentially, the word consecration, it just reminds us that we who have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, uh, and in, in this case, the firstborn of Israel are to are, are now owned by the Lord, and 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 there's to be that symbolic setting themselves apart unto the Lord, that they are set apart as holy, that they are set apart unto the Lord. They belong to the Lord. The Lord didn't judge them and give them what they deserved. The Lord uh, put forward a substitute in their place, and not, nevertheless, as being a recipient of that substitution, they are now owned by the Lord. And they are to reflect their understanding of that by living as though they are set apart unto the Lord. In fact, the, a word that might pick or depict what the word consecration means is that th- those of us who belong to Jesus, we are no longer our own, we are now devoted to Christ. Now, there's never a one of us here that truly doesn't belong to the Lord, that, that, that doesn't need, if you would, the routines of remembering that we belong to the Lord, as a, as, and those routines, and what grows out of that is a way to grow in our devotion to the Lord. 
Remember that we belong to the Lord. And so as we remember that, and the reason why we remember that, and the reason why we belong to the Lord, we've been bought with a price, that, that, that we can actually use that as a means, a gracious means to say that, therefore, this week shapes up differently. I now begin this new week belonging to the Lord. I now begin this new week with an earnest, sincere desire to be devoted to the Lord. Now, related to this, and all of these kind of weave in and out of here together, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were to quickly get out of town. They didn't have time for the yeast to rise. And, and, and on the one hand, this is more than just a baking logistic. This Feast of Unleavened Bread was highly significant, and it's even significant for us today, so that, in a sense, uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, how he applies the Feast of Unleavened Bread to our lives today in the New Covenant is, well, it's rooted in what it originally meant. That when, when, e, when, when, when Israel leaves Egypt, they are to leave quickly, and they are, if you would, to not look back and not linger. And symbolically, the life that they were leaving in Egypt, they were to leave that in Egypt. They had been rescued from that way of life. They were now consecrated before the Lord. And what that means and what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to remind them is that the life of sin was to be left behind. And, 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 and how that plays itself out for, for us today is in a similar analogous way. For instance, let me just read um, a part of 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I'll start with the second half of our reading. I'll start in verse 18, um, where it says, Knowing that you were ransomed or redeemed from your futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot or blemish. What he's saying is that, remember, you have been redeemed now by the very precious, without blemish blood of Christ. What's the implication of that? In other words, so the Feast of Unleavened Bread for us plays itself out in how we live henceforth. And our flirtation with sin or our quickness to walk away from sin is highly reflective of our understanding of Passover. Verse 13, then of same chapter, 1 Peter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You're now living without leaven. Uh, former ignorance would be akin to leaven. But, but as he who called you is holy, so you must be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. For if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is to signify that those, who've been past, those who, are, who are the recipients of the work of Passover, those who have consecrated themselves to the Lord, are to ongoingly 
put sin away from us, put it to death, walk away from it, strip it away from our lives, and cultivate the very virtues of Christ-likeness for which we have been redeemed to cultivate. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to remember, to remember what you have done for us in your Son, by your Spirit. Help us, Father, to remember. Help us to remember that we might worship. Help us to remember that we might remember that we are not our own, but we belong to you. Help us to grow in our devotion to you. Help us to put the leaven of sin behind ourselves to honor you this very week. And Father, in the very gracious means of the routines that you establish for us, may in our homes, in our private lives, in our families, and in our gatherings at church, may we remember what you have done for us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.